Hello, Robert. Uh, hello, Mikkel. Yes. How, you, how are you doing? Good. You hear me okay? Yeah. All right. All right, so we're going to start this. Hello. Welcome to a discussion with a tree, Robert Dole. And I'm joined by Robert Dole. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing great. All right. How are you doing? <laughs> How are you, Mikel? Yes, my name is Michele Troiano. And we're going to just have a little bit of a discussion here about energy. But not only that, first we want to get an idea about who we're talking with. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? Okay. I am Robert Gold. I am 58 years in age. Um, as far as education, I still have yet to find a way to measure my level of assimilation, um, which sounds complicated, but over time as people get to know me, um, they, they see that there's a reason for how I say things. Um, since as a child, I chose to fight against the established system of education, which most children were not like me. I was, um, I, I had new eyes. I, I could see everything, and um, I wasn't going to let anybody stop me from being able to speak what I thought. So a lot came out. <laughs> and, you know, it, it, you know it, it troubled everyone, but I had a great time. And uh, I learned that there is so much more to life than the introduction through induction and inference of a system made by rules and rulers who don't know how to use a ruler to measure properly the values of life. Um, what I consider true liberty, which has nothing to do with the liberty of freedom, in the United States where I was born and grew up. Um, and I've been, I lived in Puerto Rico. I lived in, my, my father was a inventor and an engineer at the National Institutes of Health in Bethesda, Maryland. So there's, my life was um, very, very complex and very simple um, from the beginning to the point where by the time that I was five years old, I did not understand what was going on with all of the other children who were still in diapers. So over time I found I, I, I didn't want anything to do with invention and now I am an inventor. I wished to get away from all of the lies of the established system 
which was a which was a problem in the world as I, as I grew up. Since my you know I started off in uh, pre-kindergarten and then in kindergarten, and by that time, everything already was a problem. Um, I, I I did like to fight. I did learn a lot through social interaction and the social intercourse of uh, a good scuffle. (laughs) So from there, my parents, uh, I had to find, uh, you know, I I had to find my way to understanding my parents who knew better um, for me and everything that I did was a problem. And uh, I mean, by the time that I was five years old, I was already told that I was going to be a scientist or a mathematician or, uh, or an inventor like my father um, or an engineer or something. Um, uh, it was very confusing for me that all of the other children were allowed to play and I had to understand the values of life at a very early age. So I didn't, uh, I got to go out to play, but not until after I memorized Newton's laws and until I could, I could uh, give a good reason as to Um, value and all of this stuff that I understood why I needed it because I was helping my father every night or I thought I was as he worked on inventions um, late at night at home and then would go to work and he would take me with him to the National Institutes of Health, NIH in Bethesda, Maryland where a lot of my early education was um, learning um, about fantastic stuff. So from a very early age, I knew very clearly uh, that I was in a world in which I didn't belong um, as soon as I walked outside of the front door of my house and I went over to see the neighborhood. Uh, kids, which I became friends with, and I was astonished that they didn't see things the way I did. So from the very early, from a very early age, I questioned everything, starting with my parents. They were so obviously correct, while being completely blind to everything around them. And then I'd go outside and everybody was blind on the outside to all the things that my parents were so obviously correct about. From my father's points of view about how children needed to be because of how the way, because of the way that people's brains work. And I had a Fascinating childhood from, from from that point. Okay, let me so, interrupt you for one second. I just want to get an idea of your father. He he he. You say he was an inventor. 
So what yeah. what was some of the things that he would invent? Um, he was an inventor and an engineer. Um, and so he was both hands-on. And I always argued with him because the scientists, in my opinion, were the inventors who were coming up with the ideas, but they didn't know how to accomplish them. They'd hand them off to him. And he would have to make things um, for neurological and neurophysiological um, uh, inventions and the actual putting, put it, do, making the things to, to function for testing inside of animal, um, animals uh, for testing the, the, the brain, such as uh, brain function, um, communication, um, neurological signals, um, everything from how a person moves their finger um, to what causes what causes Alzheimer's, Alzheimer's, and how one side of the brain communicates with the other. So, from there, uh, you know, by the time that I was uh, between the ages of five and six, um, I was already dealing with um, all the, I was friends with the PhD scientists as I walked around NIH. And my father didn't care what I did. I, it was basically NIH uh, at, at the time that I was there um, wasn't the way that it is now with everything closed up and I could go downstairs and outside and to all of the other scientists' rooms at my, at my, at my liking. And they, they liked me. And so I got to go in to see um, open operations on animals. I got to see, I got to talk about all sorts of things while, while these animals were being, while I was petting the animals before they were, you know, being operated on to, I got to know the animals. I got to hang out with the animals. I got to feed, feed the monkeys and me and my brother one time took, took a few, um, uh, we saved a few uh, of the mice and rabbits, the white rabbits, and took them to our home uh, and put them in, in, in a little shed in the backyard <laughs> and fed them, and my father found out. That kind of, so my father was basically an inventor and an engineer, had to figure out how to make things for um, what are called electrodes, um, most people know electrodes as the things that people stick on a chest for hearing, you know, the heart, EKG, that kind of thing. Well, um, for measuring the brain or for traveling through neurons, my father made a piece of a tungsten metal, uh, a thin rod that at the end of it he could measure down to um, a millionth of an inch and um, he was getting down into um, he he wasn't quite at the at the at the uh, billionth of an inch, but he was down on you know he was down to uh, you had to be able to pierce through the brain without touching anything, and you had to go through um, through the fleshy um, brain through the neurons and get to a specific neuron and only have that one um, be measured. There was a lot involved. Okay, so so 
this is interesting because from an early age, as you stated, you were kind of expected to be the you're, you're an inventor yourself, right? Somebody who would kind of follow in your father's footsteps. Kind of, kind of. But my father, my grandfather was German. And my father was German-American. And my father was very scientific. So when I was um, five years old, I didn't feel like I was going to be walking in his footsteps. I felt like I was the experiment because I had to learn and catch up to him, and I had to help him with the stuff as he asked me about the stuff. So I was, um, I was explaining to him how I saw things at the age of five. I was already there. I wasn't going to be there. Some, I, I was there already in my mind as he spoke to me like I was an adult. And I was expected to reply as an adult, and I did. And I had conversations with him and all the scientists, and I was an adult questioning their, um, their, 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 why they were doing the things that they were doing and why they were killing God's animals, <laughs> that kind of thing, <laughs> from a child. Yeah. So, so at, at a very early age, you were brought up in a way that most children are not brought up. Yeah, no, I, I, me and my brother, uh, I had an older brother that was two years older, but he um, was um, kind of like uh, not like me. So he didn't have the questions. He wasn't, he was allowed to do whatever he wanted to do. And he was uh, mischievous and he wanted to go and start fires and go and do things like that. He was never involved and he would never talk to my father. And so my father um, allowed him to just be um, a mischievous child. Well, I was kind of like one of a kind. I never, you know, I didn't see anybody else taking their children I was the only one at the National Institutes of Health in, in Building 36 uh, that, that, that ran around and got to uh, hang out with the, um, the monkeys in the monkey cages where I was told, you know, just stand against the wall because if they grab onto you, um, they'll rip off your arm. And they did that to one of the caretakers, to several. So the, they, they were strong monkeys. They were, you know, big monkeys. And... Uh, I got to know the monkeys very well, and uh, I got to uh, know the scientists very well. And, Interesting. Um, so, I, w- I was in the world on my own. Yeah, and it seems like your father recognized something in you that was different from your brother. Yeah, like, and he hated me for it. Oh. And he hated me for it. Because I, 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 yes, I wasn't, um, I was, I, I was, um, I had chosen to fight and I was fighting against him because I considered him evil, like the other evil scientists who were my frenemies. And they were, they, they loved me, but they didn't like when I would rub them wrong by saying, 
you know, because why are you doing this? Because I knew the system. I already knew the system at that age. And um, I knew that they were writing papers and the papers would go into folders and nobody was sharing the information. And so I would question them and I would say, instead of killing 50,000 monkeys all over the world for different for the same exact paper that everybody's trying to compete with, why doesn't everybody share the information and only kill 1,000 of them? I understand that it's for the better of humanity. I just didn't see the need for the throw them out kind of thing. Throw, you know, throw them out, get the next section. The monkeys were very special. The, the, the animals there were very special. They didn't take monkeys from from the wild for 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 the for for for, te- for the testing. They 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 would take monkeys from the wild and they would breed them, and then they would have babies that were brought up through the process. So they were um, not biased to the outside world, to living in trees, to to nature, to all that kind of stuff. So they had basically clean minds to start with. So you but saw... They were still... hmm? Well, so you kind of saw an injustice going on, and you, at a very early age, objected to it. Yes, because I, I, got, to see, I got to see when they were born. I got to see the ones that were that were you know older so it was all at the same time you know i saw the ones being born that i I got to see where they were raising them then i got to i got to see the other sections the the other you know the the rooms that were special for the uh two-year-old monkeys the 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 the, the, um, ones that were for the four to five-year-old monkeys and then the, you know, when they were going to be operated, the whole, you know, it was all, it was a system. It was a process. And they were being pushed through. And when, whenever they finished um, with um, a, a thing, uh, a, a paper, um, the, the monkeys were no longer any use to them. So they were having a lot of problems I, I I was warned to be careful with um, PETA, which was a protection of animals. Um, the, the people yeah. were coming onto onto the NIH ground, and they were actually, um, you know, my, my father said that they were, um, you know, because of uh, at that time, HIV was around already, and um, they were trying to stick needles that they claimed had HIV into any scientists that they found around. So I was warned, um, you know, to, to, to stay away true? from Was that true? Or is it just a lie? No, it was true. At that time, the NIH was completely open. Anybody could drive. We, we, you know, we drove right in. There was no security. It was, um, it was just buildings, and I could walk around and go from building right. to building and I could, you know, I, you know, it was no, but open. The idea that the PETA no, there, was... There was, there, 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 was pe- there was people on the, there was people, there, there, there was, um, there, there was a person that actually got stuck by somebody with a needle 
And it was, um, you know, it went around. And so my father was warned and, you know, my, you know, I, I was, I was allowed there. Nobody said anything. The scientists knew me. And, um, you know, all I had to do was, you know, I, you know, there was, you know, there was security, light security walking around outside on the grounds, but it wasn't like, it was like a guy and, you, you know, I'd wave to him and, you know, we'd talk mm-hmm. and, you so, know, I, you know, he, it was all cool. So, but was, just in terms of the PETA thing, so PETA was wandering around there because yeah, they, they, were, they were angry because they couldn't get inside the buildings to see what, what was going on inside the buildings. To get inside the buildings, you, have to, you know, you had to have, um, you had to have a access thing. So when right. me and my brother, yeah, when I went outside or my brother and I went outside, um, we had to know how to go through the back of the building um, and how to, you know, and we knew the guards. So, you know, because my father made sure. Okay. So once you get to know everybody, it was, you know, it was kind of like all good. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's just interesting way of being brought up. Um, and at some point you decided that you didn't want to follow in these footsteps or you didn't want to be involved with this. Uh, and you kind of yes, but I didn't. But I didn't know how to get out of it because this was my father. This was a system. I had to go to school, and you know, my father. You know, I, you know, I knew the laws in the United States, and I was a good child. I really was just a intelligent, good child. And um, you're not allowed to leave your house. Um, till you're 18 years old or the truant officer comes around. And, but I was always asking, why isn't the truant officer over here at NIH, you know, ushering me back to school when I should be in school? And so, you know, I got to, I got, I did, I wasn't at NIH all week long, but one or two days out of the week, I was missing from school and on the weekend. And uh, nobody, you know, I, you know, I never got hassled by the by the school or by anybody. And how did you view school? Well, school was school was slow. Yeah. Slow, boring, and everybody was in diapers. I mean, the the, the children were, you know. And my father was German-American. My mother was Mexican. I turned out looking Mexican, and my mother would cut my hair and uh, dress me in. In those times, there was um, some weird clothes, and she had a very bad style. And she was a white Mexican lady, um, and she she was... uh, she, she she was high up in the uh, she, she was a secretary to the president of the Palm Olive Company in Mexico before she got married. So she was she was an intelligent um, secretary business lady, which you know. But she didn't know how to dress me. But um, so I got I got into a lot of fights with uh, the poor children, and the, the, you know I felt bad for them because they didn't know how to fight. They didn't 
it was boring. Not, you know, and I was also told to keep silent about everything that I saw at the National Institutes of Health because you can't just go around telling children like that that you're watching open brain surgery or, or open spinal surgery on, you know, cats and, and, and rabbits and monkeys. <laughs> you know, they yeah. really didn't, it didn't fit. So the, none, none of the puzzles fit for me. And so did you have a lot of friends or how was your oh, yeah. social oh, relationship? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was uh, socially, uh, I was very energetic. So I had, I had absolutely no problem um, making friends. And when you're a young kid and you know how to fight, um, you make friends easily. (laughs) And so I just didn't, you know, I didn't have any bullies, you know, and, you know, that were bothering me. So others, you know, and I wasn't out there trying to pick on people. So people that didn't want any bullies around them loved to hang around me. So, you know, it was, it was it, you know, I had, a, I had a great childhood as far as friends go. Um, and then I questioned, like I questioned my parents. I questioned my friends' parents. And my parents were Catholic, and uh, my, 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 my parents were Catholic. My two best friends, their parents were Jewish. So there started another whole conversation inside of me. Everywhere I went, everything was, um, was, uh, was something to figure out. So... so and- and you were brought up as a Christian, so... I was, I w- I was brought up as a, um, a Christian by a Christian mother that was a hypocrite and loved to go to church to show off. And I was brought up as a Christian by a father that was a narcissist. And... Um, he was a, you know, he, he, you know, he was with the scientists, you know, you know, making the uh, drugs for the pharmaceuticals at the time, which is why, um, you know, it, it was, it was, it, it, it wasn't complicated for me. But when I go back thinking about it, I, I, I say, wow. So. What is your current view of religion? Um, that's a tough one since I, uh, I, I, I see God everywhere. So God and, um, you know, it, 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 well, I mean, I have to, everything has to be defined in the world. You know, if you can't define the word woman in the world, you're going to have a harder time with love and, and God. <laughs> but so God, the one that created everybody and everything. So you, you're an intelligent design believer. Um. 
intelligent design is a difficult topic since um, God didn't create everything as to be, um, it could be seen as an intelligent design. So it becomes a perspective thing. So as far as intelligent design, yes, if you, if, if you look at the human genome, um, somebody wrote it. It's been um, decoded as far as the letters go, but the scientists don't know the first letter in the four billion. Um, they don't understand the first letter in the four billion letters as to what that letter actually does. So um, a very intelligent design. Every single letter inside of the 4 billion letters of the genome are a computer program, and it expands um, through the interaction. So there's a lot going on. So, so, so there's a lot from, from, from that point. So, from, from, so God is a very, um, very, very difficult, deep subject, it's, but it's also as easy as I know God personally. You we know have good God. conversations. You have conversations with, with God. Uh, yes, yeah, basically. Yeah. I, I wouldn't be able to invent if I wasn't um, allowed outside of the box. And the only so, person that. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, so let's talk about you, as an inventor, because you, eventually broke away from your father and and became your oh, own yeah, I, man. I, 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 I broke away from my father by the time I was five. By the time I was eight, we were, he was, he was fighting me physically and beating the hell out of me um, physically yeah. um, oh because God. of his, yes, because of his insecurities where and when I was eight years old he beat me to the point of death where my mother was hanging on his arm and telling him that he was going to be beat me but he couldn't control himself and so at that time that stirred in me the whole conversation of um self-control well that that beating though what what prompted that that be, oh, the, the beating was um, that my brother um, was allowed to do whatever he wanted, and I had to keep my side of the desk. We shared a room, and he had his side of the desk, and I had my side of the desk, and I had to keep mine perfectly clean because I was going to become um, like my father's, you know, prototype, so to say. You know, protege, and uh, my brother was allowed to do whatever he wanted to do. So I would read books, and I wouldn't um, uh, play with him. But you know, whenever he wanted to play with me or play with me as his toy, um, he was allowed to, and I had to basically be his puppet. So uh, one time, he, you know, he basically said, "You play with me, or I'll scream it at the top of my lungs." And I told him I wasn't going to listen to him anymore. And I just, I had headphones at the time, some really nice little Pioneer headphones for a little stereo system. And I put them on and, um, you know, 
cranked up some rock and roll music, which I wasn't allowed to listen to. And so he screamed at the top of his lungs. And my father came up and um, uh, beat the hell out of me. So your father... Not, 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 just, not just lightly. <laughs> but I, I was a fighter, and I never hit him back, and I wasn't going to let him win. So every time he finished, I'd wait, I'd get back up, and I said that wasn't hard enough. And that's basically why he got angrier and angrier. So I asked for it, but I wasn't. I I wasn't going to be. I'm not. I was. This was the last time he was going to think about touching me, or he was going to kill me, or he was going to leave me leave me alone. And I just wasn't having any more of it. So this was the time where I divorced my family, so to say. And I was eight years old. Then I had to start figuring out. Um, how to move from that point to the time where I would leave my house, which I couldn't at the time. I, I didn't so, have anything. So you, so you started planning at that point to to get oh, out. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. After he beat the shit out of me, after he beat the living daylights out of me, and, I mean, he kicked me, and I, he kicked me around our house he kicked me down the stairs, and we had a concrete floor downstairs. I fell all the way downstairs, and after about a minute, I got up, and I yelled. That wasn't hard enough, and he went down there, and he beat me again, and my mother at the beginning was telling me that I was getting everything I deserved, and at the end, I don't think she in her life has ever been so scared. So that was so a very defining she, she, so moment. So I turned it around on her. Oh, yeah, very defining moment. And I was eight years old. So at that point, I was suddenly, I, 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 you know, I waited till the next day, and I asked my mother very politely, but she was being very polite to me. I said, could I have a couple green bags? And so she gave me a couple of their green trash bags, and I went into my room, and every single toy I had, I threw away. I said, since I'm not allowed to play, I won't play anymore. And from mm. that moment, I had no toys. No, it was war. It was war. And so after that, they didn't beat you anymore? No, after that, my father never touched me again. Interesting. And then, mm. so how? what was your relationship like with him after that? Um, it was still on his terms. Um, and it was still about, at that point, I knew that the only way that I was going to get out of there was to keep learning. And we had a machine shop in the basement. He had a machine shop at the National Institutes of Health also. He had milling machines and lathes, and I could use them. And I learned how to become a machinist, and I learned how to use milling machines. And I was so fascinated by so much stuff that I had. The, the, the thing with my father, my father wasn't a bad guy. He just didn't know how to control himself. He wasn't a bad guy. He was a normal American. He just wasn't ready for a child that wasn't um, a toy. That wasn't a puppet. People, people have children, and they, they they don't recognize the children 
are, 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 there's more to children than what people expect other than what they want out of children. And um, I just, you know, I grew up very quick and I had my grandparents in Mexico and my, my grandmother was um, a really fantastic, loving grandmother and my grandfather was just a straight-up honest person and he had, he had a leather... Um, he had a business making leather products. So he would make saddles. And I got to smell the leather and I got to see him punching out all the designs by hand. And so, you know, in, in a place called Toluca, Mexico, he would make um, saddles for saddles and all of the different things for horses. Um, and uh, I got to see everybody with, the, the hats that he would make and the the the, the, the belts and the, everything all dressed up and riding riding the horses in parades and stuff like that. So he was a horse rider and you know he used to play in, in, in the mariachi bands and so I had a lot more experience than just my family. And then I also experienced my life through my friends' family and their Jewish culture. And one of my friends, like his parents, liked to do do both for him. So, you know, I got, you know, they, they, they were Christians because there was presence, and they were Jewish, <laughs> Jewish because they got presence. And so we competed, <laughs> even though I didn't get anything from my parents. They, they got a lot of stuff. But I, I got more presence from my, from my friend's parents than my family, but... It was all good, so I, I, I had a fantastic life. So, and, and, so when... and lots to learn. So I saw my grandfather doing all that stuff, and I'm like, you know, someday I'll just uh, start a little business and 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 yeah. take it out there. What was your? So that's what so I did. What was your... I bided my time. Mm-hmm. What was your plan growing up to to do with your life? Um, I didn't have a plan until my until my um, my older brother, um, who loved to use me, and he's had problems ever since. He he ended up being a really a really good guy, and now he uh, he does educate. You know, he does uh, he, he he deals with um, special eds um, children and adults um, due to how bad he ended up feeling, but. Um, he, 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 he bought a, a 1967 Camaro for $300 and um, we had a machine shop in our basement and I'd never heard of body filler and all of a sudden he went out and bought some body filler and you know he's like you know we're going to fix this car up so I, he, he, he sat there and he managed me and he told me what to do and I, he, 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 he started looking he's, he went out and got books and saw how to do body work and I'm the guy that did the work because he was the manager. So I learned how to do body work on this on this one car, and then he sold me the car for uh, twenty two hundred dollars. So he did pretty well. <laughs> I fixed up the car, and then I paid him. But you know, my, and my my friends had my my one friend was Jewish, and his mother owned a catering business. And when I was fourteen years old, um, I was making more money on the weekends than my father was making at the National Institutes of Health. Every weekend I was making more money. 
So I was making more money at the age of 14 years old than my father, who worked at the National Institute of Health. By being a waiter and working at a, I, I, I ran the, uh, the, 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 a little thing for the catering business where they had all of the, where they, you know, they had all of their, all of their stuff, um, you know, so all the catering business stuff, their little storage thing. And so I'd go after school and I had two guys, I was 14 and I had two guys that was 19 and 21 working under me. And I ran a little catering business uh, thing that had to get everything ready for all the people out in Potomac and, you know, all over the place, Baltimore, everything. So it was pretty, I had, I had a crazy life. I didn't, but that, leading into that, I got, I, when I got, when I bought my first Camaro, I started painting everybody's car, all my friends' cars, primering them, painting late at night. And we were, you know, so what, so that was, I bought it when I was, he bought it when, it, when, when I was 13 years old, he was, uh, he bought that car. He fixed it up by the time that I was, uh, you know, 17 years old, you know, by the time that I was 16 years old, I owned it and I was out there drag racing all my friends, you know, on a provisional license, getting tickets, <laughs> running from cops. <laughs> <laughs> so you you became sort of a, a car aficionado or like a a good yeah. a, a mechanic or stuff of a sort, right? Yeah, so when I was uh, 17 years old, I graduated, and I asked my father, I said, um, I want one year. I want to paint cars for one year. And after I paint cars for one year, I'll go to the university, and I'll follow you, all of your rules and plans. He's like, while you're in my house, you do what I say, and you're never going to – you're going to start university, you know, in the fall. And I said, does that mean that if I decide to paint cars? He's like, if you paint cars, you have to get out of my – if you decide to paint cars, you have to get out of my house. And I'm like, I'm 17 years old. The, the law says I'm not allowed to leave till I'm 18. He's like, people run away from their houses all the time. People, people run away at the age of 12. And I said – and I, ne- I was never told that I could run away at 12 because I would have. So the day that he told me that, uh, one hour later, I-, I-, I ran upstairs, packed, and I got into my 67 Camaro and drove all the way two houses over to my best friend's house. <laughs> all the way two houses over. <laughs> And um, he found me a place to stay an hour away with another friend. And that's when I was 17 years old. And within three months, I started a small body shop with $62 and no tools. The first person gave me some money up front, and uh, I bought some tools with that and a paint gun. And I ended up owning a body, an auto body shop for 18 years after that, doing super custom and Super alt racks and everything. So, oh, okay. So that's kind of. So you never did actually go to school. I passed that point. Oh no, I graduated high school and I didn't want anything to do with school. What was school going to teach me? 
Yeah. I mean, so you recognize you were like at a, just a higher level than most people. Uh, when, when, when did you first think, see, when did I see that in yourself? Start, well, I saw that before I, before I saw that when I was young. So I wasn't going to be any good inside of college. I mean, I was, I was arguing with my teachers when I was 10 years old about how they were doing everything wrong. I was in sixth right. grade, and, I, and, and they, they, they placed me in, in, in Algebra 2 in sixth grade, and I was getting straight A's. But I, I could have been doing, um, you know, I could have been doing pre-cal or calculus, but I just didn't want, I didn't want the, um, the, 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 you know, I, I just wanted to get straight A's and get out of the way. I wasn't trying to get into um, into advanced. In, into, I mean, I was already super advanced, but I mean, I didn't want to get, really get into advanced stuff because there wasn't any, any teachers in my middle school at the time where I, when I was going to school. Middle school was its own thing, and then and then high school was was separate. I didn't want, you know, I I I, I, I was in middle school, and the teachers weren't educated enough to talk about what. Even algebra is. People didn't know. You know, people still don't know how to talk to children about what algebra is. They say study algebra. They don't say study spatiality, study three-dimensionality, study the matrix, study the world and the sun and the distance between the earth and the sun and the distance between the planets and that spatiality and map it. That's algebra. Three-dimensional. Right. And then so, from there, you, when, I, when, I was, when I was grinding, when I was 16 years old and sanding on cars, every single time I sanded a car and I, I used machines that were orbital, and so the pads were spinning around and they would put these grind marks into the car, into metal. So you've seen, you've seen metal that's been grinded, right? Yes. The little teeny lines of metal, as you grind it, none of them are random. It appears random. But everything is managed by your hands and by the machine and by the velocity of the machine. So at the time, I could see the mathematical calculations for how, as I was buffing or grinding on metal, we're seeing the little teeny sparks fly off. I was mathematically calculating how much energy it took to take the little piece of metal and throw it off and what trajectory it was going in. And I could see it three-dimensionally. And you know what that is? Calculus. Okay, so when you... you even though you didn't go... So, sorry, even though you didn't go to school, you still educated yourself to the point where oh, yeah. you're, you understand, like, the theory of relativity and... More than uh, I understand the theory of relativity, I, I disapprove of the theory, theory of relativity completely as Einstein, and I can argue all of those things which people get frustrated with since people don't actually understand 
um, what's really happening in the physical world or in the physical um, space. Um, I see um, everything differently. Not only does it make sense, it, it, it requires calculations that are not actually calculations. It's so very you, difficult once you st- go ahead. You understand quantum physics? Uh, yeah, yeah. I could rewrite the books on. So, what is Some the? Some people wouldn't like it. Okay, I, so what is your? I mean, what, what do you think about the duality of of light, for example? I mean, what, well, what first you, of all. First of all, light isn't light. Second of all, light does not come from the sun. Now, you're told that light comes from the sun, but if light came from the sun, there would be light everywhere. There would need to be no darkness. So how does light actually leave? And what velocity is the light traveling at that can't be measured because it doesn't have a signal? And then once you get into the real quantum physics, once you get into um, the real getting down into um, energies as far as the string theory, the, the smallest thing, the velocity of things, the velocity of things through things that people don't, don't yet understand, such as the vacuum, which is not actually a vacuum. The vacuum, we are told, is a vacuum, and the pressure on Earth is a positive pressure, and that's not true. That's backwards. The vacuum is pushing on the pressure of the Earth. It's not the other way around. If the vacuum was actually a vacuum, it would suck everything apart. But then you have the problem that the machine that we are in, which is what I study, is I don't study um, I don't study um, things inside of time because uh, Einstein liked the relativity and the time. And I don't study that. I study the, the, the moment, which is not a, which is what time is derived from. And I study the momentum, which ends up having the appearance of gravity, even though gravity, it, which is just a theory, is um, not exactly as gravity is, since, since you have a... You have magnetic forces that are that, that that you have magnetism. You have static electricity. All electricity has a magnetic force. So there's magne- magnetics everywhere. Magnetics m- magnetism is being thrown off of the Earth, um, but not because the Earth is um, pushing it out, but because the Earth is traveling as as it rotates. It has a terminal velocity where it's a motor and it's using the internal energies and the external electricities and mag- magnetism becomes a byproduct of what comes off of it rather than heat. 
while heat is produced um, internally, but, but the earth is not throwing heat off, it's throwing magnetism out. And then the magnetism, once, it, once there's enough energy, um, it throws out a, mag, a magnetosphere, which is a secondary layer. And then after the magnetosphere, you get into um, what's in between, uh, inside of the vacuum between the magnetosphere and um, the sun's own um, radiation and the magnetic waves that are traveling out. So it's it's very complicated at that point. It gets it, it gets it gets very there's lots of dynamics, and all of a sudden you have to have um, you can't be one dimensional. And you know Einstein did a fantastic job at his time. My my God, he was fantastic. But he just didn't, you know. I mean, I get, I get the, 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 I get to look over everybody's notes and everybody and what they thought of at the time, but they were missing a lot of it. So, what? It, what do you think is the nature of the universe? I mean, do you do you think? that there was a big bang? Do you, what do you think about that theory? Yeah, before you answer the question of the big bang, you have to answer the smallest particles, which is um, string theory. And then if you want to go backwards in time to, to a beginning point, well, there was a beginning point, but you can't go backwards or forwards. So you cannot spend, you cannot bend spatiality since time is there is no going back or forth so there is no time travel there is zero possibility of that and that becomes um, very difficult since um, the Big Bang um, deals with a point where everything was one small little dot at one beginning, and then it exploded. And doesn't take into account a lot of other things, like white holes. Have you ever heard of a white hole? Like a, It's like a black hole, but it, 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 it's the opposite? Well, where, 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 energy's, coming out, where energy's coming out? Yeah, okay. Uh, so yeah, so so the the black hole energy is being sucked in, uh-huh. and a white, white hole, hole energy is being pushed out. And where are white holes? Um, they they they, they just finished actually thinking that they found one, and now they have to see if they can actually image it. But they're, you know again, we go back to the invisibility problem. So the invisibility um, problem of energy being um, created is the same exact problem that you have to start dealing with, how energy um, actually moves off of the sun. And I ended up, I ended up studying the sun um, and how, you know, it creates um, a lot of heat but more heat is generated on the surface of the sun than uh, in the center of the sun. And none of the heat from the sun 
can travel outside of the sun. And everything goes towards entropy. So once you have high heat, then you have low heat. And once you have low heat, you can't get rid of it. You can't destroy it. You can't change it. It's low heat. It's, it's low heat. How, how, does it, how does it leave the sun? So you... if, 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 you have, if you have to have an atmosphere for, for heat to travel, you have to have an atmosphere for sound. You have to have an atmosphere um, for, for things to move and vibrate. And for heat to travel, it needs um, molecules. So, so a vacuum is um, devoid. And, you know, it has very, li- you know, it still has, you know, a few, a few hydrogens. But you... You go outside. I mean, you go outside and the sun hits you and you feel heat. So what is that? Yes, yes. You you go outside and whatever is traveling from the sun, because it does come from the sun, but it doesn't come as light. The light interacts um, according to its um, frequency. And some of it changes to light um, as soon as it touches the outer bands of the magnetosphere. Some of it interacts um, at the first uh, surfaces of our um, of our atmosphere and turns to light there, and it continues um, coming in. So by the time that you know that that that's why we end up with what we call a sky and we can't see outside of the sky due to the light interacting with um, the atmosphere, uh, whatever it is that turns into light at that point. Well, other parts of that light. Um, come down and don't turn into light until they hit the ground or the trees. So the light is constantly changing um, according to its frequency. And that's how I study color. So, but... And, that, and, that, and that's, how, that's how plants and flowers and trees choose their colors, and that's how hair and humans choose their color, and the black that we see is actually um, UV um, light interacting and changing into black right on, you know, that's, and, and you, can, you can actually see that when you have, um, you know, the, like, like UV, UV cameras and UV um, put it on, and you Take it through. The, you, you look through the camera, and you can see the. You can't see your arm anymore because of the black. So, so the pigmentation on people is unique to 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 what type of communication they're having with the frequencies. And it's not happening out in outer space because you, you put something out there, and it only it's only getting light acting upon it and can only see where the light hits and then not on the other side. There's no light out in, out in the vacuum of space traveling. So light doesn't come from the sun and it is transparent. And you can measure a laser, um, the, the velocity of a laser from here to some object and back. And that gives you distance, but that doesn't actually give you a definition for how fast light actually travels. In, in the outer space when it's in a clear, uh, 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 transparent um, form. So people have not measured um, the velocity of light yet. 
but we you're saying light is traveling through the vacuum, right? Correct, but not in the not in the form of light as we know it. So we can take a flashlight, or we can take a light, or we can take a laser here, and we have ways of measuring the um, the, the velocity of light. But we don't have a way to measure the velocity of light in the vacuum when it's clear and transparent, and there's no measurement for it. So we don't know how we far that. away. Do we no, know no, how... we do know how far away the we do know how far away the sun is and and the um and and the uh, and the moon um, by using lasers. We 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 measure we can measure everything with lasers very accurately. But we're measuring a signal that we're sending, and then we are um, managing it through the the, the the measurement of that signal. Okay. So the so we know how far away certain stars are and how like we assume the idea of a, at that okay. point. No, at that point we're assuming. Okay. At that point we are assuming due to we see the light when it hits here, and we assume that the light is traveling at the speed of light that we measure here on Earth. But that's actually not true. Are you saying it's going faster? Some people faster? do not want to hear that. Are you saying I'm it's saying, going yeah, faster? It's going a lot. I, I, I'm, I'm saying it's going faster. So it's conceivable then that the stars that we're seeing are closer than. What's... No, it, 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 no. It, if we measure from here to the, um, if we measure from here to the moon with a laser, we have an accurate distance. And if we measure out and we measure with that type of system, um, we're pretty close and in the ballpark to how far away um, most of the things in the galaxy are. But other galaxies, I would, you know, I, I could argue, um, but I, I'd be arguing against, you know, people that, are, that, are, that have these things called degrees from university, so I can't argue against anybody that gets paid by the government and it's really cool because they have little white jackets. <laughs> I used to have, I, I used to have those little white jackets. I was really cool for a little while. <laughs> but is there any like scientists right now doing anything that you respect or that follow that you follow? No, because they're not, they're not doing energy. They're, they're, they're they're burning coal. They're burning natural gas. The scientists are. They they wouldn't be doing that if 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 they, if they knew how to use the energy that the Earth makes. And the Earth makes so much energy that we don't need any energy from the sun. And we don't need energy from from fossil fuels. <laughs> We don't need energy from fossil fuels. And yes, the plants and the flowers need energy from the sun. So the sun is throwing a lot of energy here, and the sun maintains um, everything in the galaxy um, that the sun um, interacts with um, for energy. But, you know, we have, um, a, we have an abundant amount of energy being made in the center of the Earth, even though there's no center, you know, the... the, the Geothermal. No, the, the stuff that's happening in the middle of all, all around the middle of the Earth, 
Um, it, I wouldn't call it geothermal um, because geothermal is a completely different thing. But, okay. but, but yeah, center of the earth thermal um, production, uh, heat being produced in, it, in the center of the it, earth. So your, your idea is that this could be harnessed and, and, and meet all our energy needs? It's not my idea. They already know that if you if you if you could harness 0.1 percent of the energy from the from from the mid, from the Earth underneath the crust, 0.1 um, percent um, would give us about a million years of energy. And that's so not me. The, that's that's a science. That's a, that's the normal scientists out there. What's the the obstacle to doing that? Connectivity. You, you, you can't you can't get the uh, you, if you don't know how to um, collect the energy um, without using water. Um, when you take water and you and you pump water down there, you're using a certain amount of energy to pump the water down, and then the water has to be pumped all the way back up. Do you know how much it, do you know how much it costs to pump that water in as far as um, energy goes, as far as horsepower goes, as far as wattage goes, you're talking about a lot of energy because you're talking about big pumps. And what people don't understand about geothermal, and now I'm bringing up the word geothermal as what is out there currently, um, geothermal is useless in the modern, in the modern age. It's useless. Um, and that's why it's not used anywhere but in Iceland. Um, and the few places where they have, you know, toy geothermal facilities, um, because people really don't take the time to think about things. When you have a gallon of water, and the gallon of water is at zero degrees Fahrenheit, I mean, at zero degrees Celsius, which is 32 degrees Fahrenheit, um, the water is what's called above freezing, but not frozen. So I'm, t- I'm talking about the, the unfrozen kind, before the phase change into ice. So you have ice, you have a phase change, and after the phase change, then you have water, and then at 212 degrees Fahrenheit, you have another phase change, and then you have steam. Well, the phase changes take a lot of energy. So if you go from zero degrees, if you go from 32 degrees Fahrenheit to 212 degrees Fahrenheit, which is zero degrees Celsius to 100 degrees Celsius, in both cases you're going from just above freezing to just to the point where it's boiling. Let's call that one amount of en- one amount of energy for that for heating it up that far. Well. That gets, that gets you to the point where everything is ready to steam, but it requires four times the calories, four times the wattage, four times the energy, four, four times to go from the phase change of 212 degrees about boiling and 212 degrees where it is boiled. Does that make sense? So 
when, when you put a pot of um, water on your stove and you heat it up to 212 degrees, you haven't gone anywhere. It's, it, you see a little bit of steam coming off, but to actually steam all of that water, a gallon of water out of a, out of a pot um, on a stove where you're going to make spaghetti takes four times the energy that it took. So it takes a long time to boil that water off. So when you take water that's ready to steam from down in the ground and you bring it up, you still need four times the energy to get it to steam. What are you doing? Unless, unless you have a perfect situation where you throw a little bit of water down and you collect a little bit of steam, but you're not going to be running, you're not going to be running any part of any, any, you know, you're going to be running a very little country off of that. Maybe the size of like Rhode Island, if you're lucky. And that's geothermal today. That's geothermal today. They have, they, they, they don't, once you bring up water that's ready to steam, unless you have enough heat underneath of there where you're throwing water down there and it is completely steaming up underneath and it's coming out as steam and you do not have to pump any water up, but they are actually pumping the water up like Canada wants to do that. And they plan on pumping the water up into tanks. Once you have water that's hot inside of tanks, you got nothing unless you know what to do with the heat inside of there. Now, I happen to have found a way to take take a tank that's at, at 100 degrees and I can take all of the heat out of there without steaming any water. So if I ended up setting up a plant to generate electricity, steaming of water is pollution. That's thermal pollution. I wouldn't do it. When you, when you throw water up as steam into the air, you're throwing energy away. So given that we can't access the energy at the core of the earth. No, no. Right now, the modern systems can't. I can. Oh, you know, how would you do the... Well, that's, you know, that's, you know, that's proprietary. And I'd give it (laughs) away to everybody in the world if it wasn't just given to a few rich guys to then have everybody as slaves. Well, um, we're going to have to figure out a way to generate energy in a new way. Or, the, or, or What is your view on climate change? I mean, is it occurring? Is it a problem? Is it something that we can do something about? No, there's nothing we can do about it. There's nothing we should do about it. There, there, there's things we, that we need to do um, to um, change. And while, while the change happens, we're still going to be burning um, fossil fuels um, to build all of the machinery until it gets going. Um, but that would only be, you know, five years if everybody worked together. But in the current situation, let's call it 50 years since nobody's going to work together, um, or 500 years. But... Um, so the, the big problem isn't getting the energy and making it work. It's, it's people that – it's money that prevents people from making it happen because 
for me to put my systems out there. Even if I gave my ideas away and nobody had the money to go out and build the machines to do it, then how? So okay. we ha- I, I, would, I would still have to beg somebody to help invest, and then they would end up doing what the sharks and all the you know, shark tank stuff do is take a big bite, which would leave about oh, 2 billion people without energy again. And then the next bite would take another 2 billion people out of the equation because all of that possibility would be going into you know, using the systems to um, have, have, in the last 50 years, have you ever seen the prices of anything go down? Hmm. And, and with all of the, all of the intelligence, all of the advancements, all of the, everything that NASA has done and, and you know, all, all of the specialty intelligence, all the skunk works and all of the, everything that's happened out there, have prices gone down? Why is energy going up when, when people can do it more efficiently and more effectively? Why aren't factories charging less? Isn't that a flaw of capitalism? Absolutely not. Capitalism is, a, is, is, is not the problem because that's to say that um, having a money system is bad. Um, having greed is bad. Having a money system that works for the greedy is bad. But that's not capitalism. That's socialism for the rich. Right. Absolutely. So right now, right now we have socialism. For the rich. And I live in a socialistic country called the United States. And it is a socialistic country, but not for, not for the people. It is a socialistic co- country for businesses. And then somebody, somebody like me comes along and I can crash all of the big businesses by putting energy wherever I want it. And if I wanted to become rich and be part of their club, then I'd, I would have already been a billionaire by 2003. And why, why won't you do that? Because I'm at war. With my with? father. <laughs> Still? I will always be at war with my father and all of the people that don't let somebody like me be me. So there's a bunch of little me's inside of Africa. There's a bunch of little me's inside of Mexico. There's a bunch of me's in South America. There's a bunch of people like me that are fantastic. And I've watched some people do some fantastic things with their hands, the way that they think. And I was just like them, and they could have been me. Why, why was I the lucky one to be the inventor? And am I the lucky one once people find out that I'm the person that they need to kill if they have the businesses that I'm going to put under, unless I patent and sell rights of use to them? Then they'll like me. So, and, you know, it's a system. And, you know, if I, if, 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 if I have the right to make money in, in a capitalistic society and I'm allowed to do whatever I want with my money, then I make enough of it. It's like Elon Musk who, you know, supposedly donated 
five billion shares, uh, uh, well, five million shares, no, five five billion dollars to um, to to end world hunger. And and whoever got the money, guarantee you they're on vacation right now. <laughs> but so we have this. Do you have an idea about how we? How we oh, end? I have an idea. No, but how we end the this socialism for the rich idea like system? Well, they're crashing it themselves. That's why we're going into World War Three. I see. That's what's they're going fighting on with over, Russia they, right now. They're, they're right now. They're fighting over who owns it. Right. But but um, is it something that uh, is? Are, are we just doomed? Um, with somebody like me, you know, to, 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 to have the possibility, like if I died in a car crash out there right now, and I am the only inventor like me, and since fusion is not going to work unless I make it work, and it's not going to work for the next 40 years because nobody would leave, no, nobody would talk to me even though I could just walk over to them and say, hey, would you like to figure it out? And if they said yes, I'd have some fun with them. So the, the politics is so thick that are, are, are we doomed? It's not a matter of if we are doomed. It's the matter that the people that were doomed to die of starvation, forced, forced starvation, from humanity, human-created starvation that died in the 1980s, those people didn't do too well. The, the forced starvations of the 1950s in different parts of the world, those people didn't do too well. The people that died in the last World War, they didn't do too well. Um, the people that are going to die um, this winter from, and, and in the next three years from what the... Um, what the uh, what was just put out by uh, by the United Nations, I believe it was, that 1.7 people are going to be um, in serious risk of uh, uh, having having some sort of starvation problem. Uh, there's a very good possibility that within the next three to five years, we're going to see um, 200, 300 million people critically at a level of starvation. Um, which has never been seen before because this is a completely new world. This is no longer two, this is no longer um, uh, 1917. This is no longer the 1930s. This is no longer the stock market crash of the 1930s or World War II and the uh, and and the pandemic of 1917 to 1920. We're in a new world. This is a new world. We're no longer in the world before before 2019. So and, we're in a world that's more lethal. Oh, completely. But it's 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 lethal in a way that's very 
um, very seductive to the rich because the rich are making a lot of money right now. It's very, right now you're having a huge wealth. Um, everybody that, that, that knows money, they're even, all of the money that was created by the United States, how much of that money was, was funneled to people? How much of that money actually made it out into the, um, into, into the uh, poor people's hands? Um, yeah, not a very, very... None. Well, None. Right. And everybody and out there that's a landowner has raised their rates, and everything is going through what's, considered, what's called a inflation. There was actually absolutely no need for it. It's well, it's 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 a it's a big scam, right? I mean, it's just people just it's a scam. It, it's a yeah, pyramid. like it, it's a it's a pyramid scheme. I noticed this along. I mean, a, a few years ago, they were talking about, I, you know, on all the financial channels, they started talking about inflation, 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 and then all of a sudden, they just created it by raising prices, um, and it was. The whole thing was complete bullshit. Um, That's correct. And I and nobody seems to call it out. They just act like, oh no, it's you know. It's oh, due to not, yeah. If you if you call it out, if you call it out, you know, you better have a really good reason. <laughs> Well, it's 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 just interesting that people just kind of accept it and they have the different reasons for it. But most of it is just yeah. greed. It's greed. Correct. But even the greedy people are still going to need more electricity. So no matter what you do, after the dust settles this time and the money becomes valueless, except for the people that have lots of it and can afford a hundred to $150 bag of rice. And then everybody else has to go back to being in lines and begging and looking for a handout. Which just makes the, 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 the rich rich. The world needs energy. Yeah. Yeah. But this, this is, this, this is a conversation about energy and the, the, the rich are always going to, you know, there's a, the difference now and the reason we're in a different world isn't because of the rich. The rich have been around like the kings of England. So, it, 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 you know, the, the system that England created, which transferred over to the United States, you know, in the, in the 1500s when everybody was killing themselves over gold, we're in a different world now because of the population. And now you can't actually pretend to feed people if, if, you, if you don't have the fertilizer to do it. <laughs> so people don't recognize Russia already won. They already won. Why? Because they hold the 20% of everything that everybody needs to produce um, food. They, they, they produce 20% of the food, like grains, and Ukraine pr- produces 
of the exported food. So that's 28%. Now that there are wars happening, and all of the once the natural gas gets cut off, um, not, without natural gas, you don't produce fertilizers. Without fertilizers, we're looking at, one, you know, when, when they say that there's 1.7 billion people that are going to be facing um, some sort of starvation, we're talking, they got no idea. We're going to be at 3 billion, 3 billion people that are going to be having a hard time finding products due to the um, inflation of prices. Well, you think that they should just capitulate? To Russia and let them have Ukraine. No, no, that's that's over. That, that's over. That should have happened at the beginning. At the beginning, the United States and the and Europe and Ukraine should have politely said, "Okay, let us leave, and you can have Ukraine." Now, me saying that, you know, that's just my opinion. I hope I don't get killed over it. But hey, you know. That's, well, that's, that's what it is. And, 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 and the reason is because Russia, if it wasn't for Russia, we wouldn't have won World War II. That's correct. Russia won World War II. Russia won World War II. Right. And, and, and Russia, was the, Russia was on our side when they sold us um, Alaska for nothing. Okay. So, Russia was our friend for for the last 300 years, and they wanted to do their own thing. And there's been a competition, but the, the, the problems are they're having they were having more problems with Germany, and right now the only thing that they were looking for, people don't understand Russia. Russia, the United States tells everybody that Russia is a country like the United States, and the United States is so... They have the, the United States has their head so fucking far up their ass, they don't know where, where to even start. Because Russia is not a, is not a country. Russia, it's, it's like saying that Africa is a country. Africa right. is 50 different countries. Africa is 50 different countries. Africa is 50 different countries that you're never going to put back together. And the world has, look at what the world's done to Africa. Look at the world, what the world, look at what the world, Europe and Spain did to South America. South America, why is South America so poor? Because of the way that Europe Spain and the United States have trampled South America. The same thing that they did with Africa. The same thing that they would do with any place that they could get their hands on. And they were trying to do the same exact thing with China. And, and they're doing why, it. Why, why, did, why, did, why did we build up China Oh, because they could produce free goods. What we were, we were using them, and we were paying them. What did we expect? Oh, oh! One, suddenly, we're no longer friends after they made everything for us for the last thirty years. 
Yeah. It's... So where did they get their machinery? They couldn't. They couldn't make a, pa- a roll of paper toilet a toilet paper roll in, in 1970 to save their own asses. Yeah. So we need a different orientation. Well, the, the, orient, the orientation, the only reason I'm not afraid of talking about it all is because by the time that somebody comes and knocks on my door, the bombs will already have dropped. The, the stuff that they're doing out there right now is already happening. The war that we're inside of right now, which is World War III, isn't going backwards. We're building it. Germany can no longer back out. They're sending um, tanks. We're involved. Russia knows it. Russia's all, that's why Russia's calling it out. The United States is saying, oh, oh this is just their bluff. No. Who's looking out for Russia's, Russia's security? And I'm an American. I grew up. You know, my father hated the Russians. I grew up listening to Reagan, you know. Of course, the Russians, the Russians, the Russians, the Russians, the Russians, and our little drills. So you think bombs are going to start dropping on the United States? No, I think that I think that I think that the Russians are intelligent enough, and since I do believe that they have hypersonic missiles, just like China does. Uh, hypersonic capabilities. Um, that uh, they they hold a lot more cards than we think about. That that, that we're that we're instigating them. You know, they're they're, they're still looking for protection, but you're going to cross that one that one little line is going to get crossed, and we will never let it go, because we will never let them win. But Russia can't lose, because if Russia wanted to wipe off Europe from the face of the earth right now, they could. How many times over? But they're not going to do that. No, but they would, and they could. Okay. It doesn't matter if they will. Every day that it moves forward and the United States doesn't find a way to make them embarrassed enough to where they crawl back in. But then that won't happen, right? We're, We're at a stalemate here. No, we're not at a stalemate. They're Absolutely winning. not. But completely. Completely. But they don't have to do anything at all about winning Ukraine. They can actually um, pull back and wait and just sit there for one year doing anything without a shot fired. What would happen to the world already? With, with, right. with Europe going into a win- into a winter in six months. Okay, so knowing and, and, that and with and with the food crops. Yeah, so knowing that, I mean, what, what should the United now, States do? If if people would have listened to me twenty years ago, I'd have a business up. But but then the problem is I wouldn't have invented everything that I invented in the last year because I would have been all tied up. So the stuff that I invented in the last year is just 
fantastic, crazy. But right now what the world needs is better energy solutions so that uh, – but then, then you need to um, look at a world where um, what happens to a Russia when people don't need their energy anymore – um, you can't. You still have an entire area that you can't just walk over there and rule them and make them um, your subjects the way that you can walk into Africa since you've kept Africa from having access to weapons and knowledge. So, so you can go in and you can go into Africa. And you can kill them off like nothing because all they have is light artillery. So, but Russia's not like that. So you have a world where if you can't go in there but you, and, and, you, and you separate them, you just create a bigger Venezuela. Now, that would be perfect from, from, from the United States perspective. Then you get into the, then you get into the possibilities that, if a Trump or somebody gets elected in 2024, oh my God, you know, we're, we're you know, if Trump was in office right now, I'd say we are doomed. I wouldn't even be talking to you about any of it. Well, he might come back. <laughs> and, and at that point, most people are doomed. I mean, except for me and the few people that are going to know how to make energy. And since I'm 58 years old, I'm only all I have to do is enjoy myself for the next 20 years. And right. I have, but but then you know, I have two sons and my stepdaughter Lene, and there's there's you know all sorts of people out there that are around us. So we can't get out of it. I have a lot of work ahead of me. If that's what you're asking. But wouldn't you, if, you have if, a lot of work ahead of you, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> if Trump, but if Trump were in office right now, wouldn't he just let Putin have Ukraine? So, wouldn't or would his hands be tied and he'd be forced to do what? His hands would be tied. To... It's 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 it's, it's politics. It's not that easy. You, you, you can't, you know, that was a reasonable option if there was reasonable people, but that's not a reasonable option because you couldn't get the Ukrainians out from either side. So, no, it was going to go this way either way. Yeah. The Ukrainians were but, not going to leave. But if, if they would, if they would have, um, if, if they would have sat down and recognized that Ukraine um, allowed for the twelve the twelve hundred nukes that were in that country. They had enough nukes to, um, to 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 forget about Russia. They could take over the world by themselves already. Ukraine, but they gave and, them up. Uh, they they didn't they, they they gave them up. They didn't have the people to upkeep for the upkeep. They would have had to educate themselves on a lot of things. Um, but there, there there was enough there for them to work on the stuff. And they gave them up, and China promised to protect them, which isn't happening. There's a lot of things where everybody you, – you have the same case where the Americans and the Indians and the, and, and the white man said, I promise you. Right. And, they, you know, the Indians should have known better. But they didn't. Yeah. Stup, stupid Indians. So, <laughs> so the white man killed my brother. 
Yes. All right. Well, let's let's continue next time. Pick up and talk about this and other things in the next installment of Talking to a Tree. I think this was interesting, and I think that we covered a lot of wide-ranging topics here, including, you know, getting into your background. So we've talked, you know, about an hour and 45 minutes here. So I think we can we can stop and then pick it Great. up next time. Um, but I well, appreciate next, next you. Time, next, time we, next time we can talk about why I wanted to call it a tree. We can talk about the tree. So yeah. I get it. That's that's brilliant. Um, good way to give a preview of what we'll be talking about next time. But I wanted to thank you for giving your time and talking. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Oh, I'm all, I'm always ready for the war. <laughs> since 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 we're in it, there's no way out. I'm ready. All right. Well, we can talk about how this war is going to go. I mean, I, I think you broke some news to to tell people that we're in World War Three now. I mean, I don't think people think that's true, but I, I see your point, and I see that it is. So, well, Pearl Harbor, Pearl Harbor should be a a thing that people don't take lightly is how how aware are people to say that people in those days were stupid no today they just finished finding a ship rolling around hawaii again that seemed that it was just a reconnaissance type ship so we'll see if over time it was um real news and but little by little Okay, Robert. So we'll we'll end it there, and uh, we'll talk. I guess I could, we can pick up next week at the same time, if that's okay with you. That's perfectly fine with me. All right. Well, I want to thank um, everybody for. Well, go ahead. I was just saying good night to everyone and good night to you. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, I'll, I'm going to send you a. Uh, a recording of this before I publish it. Um, I'm going to edit it a little bit and then send it to you in the next 24 hours. Okay? Sure. All right. That's fast. Okay, we'll talk. (laughs) Bye-bye. Talk to you soon. Goodbye. Yeah, thanks. Bye-bye.